0: I really like that song that was playing, that's a good song. Okay, before we get started, we're going to be in Romans 14, you might want to take your Bibles and get ready in Romans chapter 14. Before we get there though, I've got another brief announcement that I wanted to give to you and that's also in the form of a prayer request. Um, Tomorrow afternoon, Cale Horvath and I are going to leave for a trip to Albania and uh, this time when we're going, what I'm doing is I'm going to be preaching their missions conference, and if those of you that remember, if you were here in the fall for our missions conference, we had an Albanian couple, Ariol Veliu is his name, and and he's from our church in Albania who has surrendered to be a missionary to the country of Turkey, and this conference next week that's going on in the capital city where our church is in Tirana um, is certainly to cast vision to the whole church, but it's also to ordain Ariol and to commission them to send them out to go to Turkey. Actually, this past week, he and his wife were just there. They were kind of house hunting and uh, that sort of a thing. They've got some people there that are helping them do that. As soon as the conference is over, uh, oh, and by the way, and Kale is going to represent um, how to put on evangelistic camps. Those of you may remember that last year, uh, Kale and I went and we had the opportunity. He had the opportunity to to preach at a evangelistic camp in the country of Hungary. And the things that he learned there, we want to present to the ministry in Albania. So that, And they've actually asked us if we could help them with that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, after that week's over, uh, Kale will come back. But I'm going to stay an extra week and, and escort Ariol and his wife, Nevila, and with some of the pastors from Albania. And we're going to go to Turkey with him again and just finalize some of the contacts with some of the local ministries and, and help get that established. So... Um, Please do be praying for that. That is a really big deal. It is really, really important, and uh, we'll certainly give you an update when, uh, when I come back for that, so I appreciate that. Okay, well, let's uh, look into our text. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14. Like I said, I, I want to kind of set the stage for you a little bit. Um, I want to remind you of the fact that in the early church, in the first century, in the first 50 years, maybe, of, of the transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament, there, was, there were problems. Uh, You know, there's problems in churches today, but there were problems back then, and a lot of the problems that occurred back then, and one of which we'll see here today, um, were with people who came from a Jewish background, and if they came from a Jewish background, that meant that they had a lot of Old Testament traditions and habits that were hard for them to break away from. For example, they had dietary laws, right? They respected certain holy days and that sort of a thing. And there was a lot of new converts, obviously, that were of a Gentile background, and the Gentile background was typically considered godless or pagan. And so the dietary laws and all that was like an Old Testament baggage that was no longer necessary. They were carrying along with them. The Gentiles had none of that baggage whatsoever, but they had other pagan habits in their lives that they were struggling with. And when all these people came together in one, in this new thing, which is the church, the body of Jesus Christ— there was conflict. And there was people that were struggling with one another because I see you doing things that I don't understand and you see me doing things you don't understand. And this issue is addressed for us here in Romans chapter 14. Um, The issues that are being addressed in Romans 14 as we walk through this chapter, and we're gonna see nine verses today, we're gonna take three weeks to walk through this chapter, uh, really deal with what we would consider to be gray areas. Uh, These would be things that we would categorize as personal preference, not doctrine. Uh, these are things that if, if you were a part of our new members class, First Steps, that we do every quarter, uh, we talk about things that are essential that we believe, and then we talk about things that are not essential. And, and this would be in the category of things that are not essential. In other words, they're not specific Bible doctrines. They are areas that God gives you room to have your personal preference and your choice. In other words, they're not explicitly biblically prescribed for believers. So what I want you to see as the main theme as we kind of walk through this is, and I have this in your notes, is that when God saved us, he made us to live together in community. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Christ died, was buried, rose again, ascended to the Father, gave unto us the Holy Spirit, and told us specifically Ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And so he intends for us to live our lives together. Christians are not intended to live their lives uh, apart from everybody else and alone. You, you can't get along with people in the church. You can't agree with things that they do. And so sometimes people just stay at home and, and they watch sermons on TV or whatever and, and they don't have any fellowship with other believers. That's not what Christ intended. He, he wants for us to live our lives together. And if you are not, are not actively participating, One of the reasons why we have our small group ministry in the middle of the week called Life Groups, we want you to get involved. We want you to interact with other people. You come here on Sunday mornings faithfully, but you're all sitting in the same direction facing me. You're not interacting with one another, and we need to interact with one another. Well, the, the challenge of that, by the way, is that when you do that, you run into people who do things different than you do it. And if you were honest, you would just say, I don't like it, or I don't agree with it or I think that's weird, or whatever you would say. But that is God's design. God wants for us to have that kind of friction and tension so that we can learn to love one another, so that we can learn to show grace, so that we can search the Scriptures and see if the Bible truly says anything about that or not. And when you don't participate in these opportunities, when you are not actually a part of the body actively and regularly, then you deprive yourself of these things. And this is really what we're dealing with. We're coming off the heels of Romans 13. And those of you that have been studying with us, remember that we finished talking about how we are commanded to love one another. And so in Romans 14, what we're gonna see are some very practical tips on exactly how we can do that in real life. That's today's title that I put on it, Liberty and Legalism. Because those are the things we're gonna see today. Liberty and Legalism... In real life. Okay, so follow along with me. I'm going to read the first nine verses of Romans 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth, he may eat all things. Another who is weak, eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks." For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. Let's pray, and we'll jump into our study. So, Heavenly Father, as we see these things before us, our prayer is what it always is, and that's that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today, that you would take the words of your book and they would jump off the page into our hearts and that we would fully comprehend what it is you're trying to teach to us. I pray, Lord, for specific personal application for each and every one of us, your body here at First Baptist Church. I pray that each and every one of us would, would learn this lesson well, once and for all, And be able to come away from this really understanding how to live out the love of Christ. Really understand how to really care about others that may be different and aren't going to change. Lord, teach us, humble us, help us to learn and help us to reflect your glory. Because you are worthy, you deserve it. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. All right, the first section, the first three verses, so we've got nine verses, we're going to take them in chunks of three. The first three verses are all about your interaction with one another. Your interaction with one another. And so, what we're dealing with, it comes right out of the box and says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye not to doubtful disputations. We are going to be discussing then a couple of categories. The interaction is between people who are considered to be weaker in their faith and people who are considered to be stronger. In their faith, And the specific issue that is being dealt with here is eating. That's interesting. Uh, we're going to see that in a little more detail. It's, it's, it's literally about eating meat. And so what we see as we read through, um, it says, For one believeth he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. And so certainly in the context, we see that the person who has stronger faith feels the freedom or the liberty to be able to eat anything that's put in front of him. And the weaker person is a vegetarian, amen, (laughs) that's what the Bible says, let's pray, okay, that was fun, the context obviously is specific, the context is dealing with people who would eat meat that has been offered to idols, okay, so in the pagan version, there would be pagan temples that some of these people came out of their background before they got saved, And there would be these pagan temples where they would also do animal sacrifices and they would slaughter the animals and do whatever they would do. And after they were done out the back door of the temple they had a little butcher shop. And they'd be selling the meat. Okay. And some of the guys that came out of that background they were like, wait a minute, I can't eat that stuff because that stuff I used to do back in my old life before Christ when I was godless I can't apply that now. That freaks me out. So I can't do that his faith, in other words, is a little bit weak in the area of fully understanding what God has done. Okay? And so he has to restrict himself and make a law for himself that says, I will not allow myself to eat meat for that reason. Okay? And so, what he doesn't understand, for example, comes clear to us in some other places in the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 8 is a great chapter on this subject. Verse number 4 says, as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. So, Paul is trying to teach us, in the Corinthians specifically in that case, that Food, okay, that may have been offered to some pagan god with a small G, is it's nothing because there is no such thing as some pagan god. That's just it's a figment of their imagination. It's a it's something that people do who are just running from the real God. There is only one true God. And so these guys are doing whatever they're doing with this meat, and he's like, look, I want you to understand something, that you don't need to worry about idols as though they truly exist or truly have power or truly can cause some sort of voodoo on you, okay? He said they are nothing, and there is only one God. Now, in order to really grasp that concept, you have to be stronger in your faith, right? You need to know that that truth exists and now, therefore, you can exercise liberty and if somebody takes a nice ribeye out of the back door of the pagan temple, you're like, thanks, and throw it on the grill. I mean, who cares? Just enjoy it. And uh, that, But that requires a little bit of stronger faith. If your faith is weaker, okay, then that's gonna bother your conscience. And if that bothers your conscience, then, you know, you can't go there. You just can't. I mean, you're, you, you know how it is. There are things in your life that your conscience just won't allow you to do. Okay, so understand the principle. In this, in this description that's given to us, again, the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us today. We're going to get to some real life applications in a minute. The person in this story who has liberty is the person who has stronger faith. You see that, right? And the person who has to set legalistic boundaries around themselves, eat not, handle not, touch not, okay, those are the guys who are, according to the context of the scriptures, weaker in their faith. Okay? Now, people who are weaker in their faith might be likened unto. Spiritual babies, in other words, you're a new believer, you're just coming up, you haven't had that much time to learn that much, you are considered a small child or a baby in your faith. Your faith has not grown to its full maturity yet, and you can always know babies, because babies manifest themselves the same way that physical babies do. Life is always about me. I want this, I need this, take me here, I don't think so, what about me, me, me? That's what little kids do. That's what little kids in the faith do. It's always about me, myself, and I. Okay, so it's not hard to discern who's who. God makes it very clear how it all plays out. Now, how does your faith become stronger? Well, that's not hard. Romans ten seventeen. it comes by spending time in the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So as you spend more time in the scriptures, you do well that you're here today. The more we spend time in the scriptures, it can grow your faith to be stronger. And that's what God wants for us to do. So if you're spending time in the Word of God, you'll come across things like 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 4 that we read that an idol is nothing. And there's only one God, and there's nothing to be feared about those things. You would go a little further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and you would hit verse number 8, which says, But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. In other words, it doesn't matter one way or another if you choose to eat the meat or don't choose to eat the meat. There is no spiritual benefit to food. Food is just food. That's all it is. It has no effect whatsoever on your spirit. Okay, That's what stronger faith will reveal to you. You will begin to see from God's word, which builds your faith to understand these things. 1 Timothy chapter 4, first five verses. Now the Spirit speaketh, speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the latter times, that would be the time in which we live. That would be specifically pointing towards the end of the church age. Speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What are they saying? What are these doctrines of devils? What are these seducing spirits? What are these things that are causing people to depart from the faith, to speak lies? Well, they will forbid to marry and command to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. In other words, if your faith in the truth is solid, you're not going to be confused by that stuff. But if it is weak, you might be seduced by a lying spirit and a false prophet and a doctrine of devils. He goes on and explains in verse four, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So wherein... In the Old Testament system, there were dietary laws, that there were certain foods you were not allowed to eat. In the New Testament economy, God clarifies that, and he's like, it's all good now. Eat whatever you want, just do it with thanksgiving. Now, if you just can't, then don't. It's okay. So, I gave you just a few points that you could think about, and these would be the Bible rules on food. Okay, not a big deal. It's fairly intuitive. The first rule on food, biblically speaking, would be, do you have faith to eat it? If you have faith to eat it, then eat it. And if you don't, then don't. How about this? Can you give thanks for it? Well, if you can truly give thanks for it, then eat it. And if you have trouble giving thanks for this particular thing, then don't eat it. And maybe the most important thing that will be expounded in more detail in weeks to come in chapter 14 is don't burden others with your liberty. In other words, these are your preferences. These are your personal convictions. And don't cause somebody else to stumble in their faith just because of you and your liberty and your freedom. Don't flaunt your freedom so much in the face of somebody else who truly struggles with it so that it causes them to stumble in their faith. In other words, I like to say it this way, love the brethren more than you love your liberty. That that would be a good point for us to keep in mind. Okay, so regardless of those things, okay, what we're really trying to learn is how to interact with each other as Christians. So if we go back to Romans chapter 14, the first way to interact with one another is to receive them, to receive them. That's what it says in verse number one, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, But then it goes on, it says, but not to doubtful disputations. So in other words, this is written to those who are considered the stronger. If you are in the category of the stronger and you have liberty to do some things, then receive those that maybe don't necessarily have that liberty yet. But don't do it to the point where you're ultimately going to argue, not to doubtful disputations, not that you are going to have doubts in your mind about the validity or the sincerity or their walk with the Lord. Just receive them. Verse 3 says, God has received them, so you should receive them too. Just be willing to accept them for who they are, right where they are. Jesus did that for you. Aren't you thankful for that? Shouldn't you do that for one another? Of course you should. That's what he expects from stronger believers receive them well the other thing is to love them to love them and now it goes on in verse number three and it starts off by talking about those who are the stronger and it says let not him that eateth that's the stronger guy right despise him that eateth not so don't despise the guy who has to have some rules in his life In other words, don't look down your nose at him because he hasn't figured out what you have figured out. Don't despise him. You have your liberty. Don't look down your nose at the guy who is a vegetarian. And don't judge. Now this one's written to the weaker, the second half of verse number three. And let him which eateth not, that's the weaker one, judge him that eateth. Don't judge. In other words, You need to have rules in your life. You need to have some regulations. You need to have some things that are boundaries for you to keep you in the zone where your conscience is clear. That's fine. But don't just draw conclusions about the other guys whose boundaries are a little different than your boundaries. And again, we are talking about gray areas. We are talking about areas where the Scripture does not specifically say you must do this. And in this area, it does not specifically say you must do this. God has given you the freedom to eat whatever you want, okay? And so that's how we should treat each other, to receive them and to love them. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 starts off by saying, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. Okay, so people are going to judge you. But let no man therefore judge you literally just means, hey, don't let it bother you. Don't take it too seriously. Don't get freaked out about it. If they're going to judge you, just kind of let it roll off, you know, water off a duck's back kind of thing. Just let it go. It's okay. Don't, don't worry about that stuff. That stuff has a place, and that place is for a different time, okay? But don't worry about it today. You are free, okay? There is no legitimate base for such judgment, So don't don't let it bother you. Okay, so what I want to do now is, is because really, I don't, you know, look, we joke around about vegetarians or whatever you want, but I don't think there's a lot of us in this room today really worried about meat coming from the pagan temple meat market. I mean, really. And I titled this message, Liberty and Legalism in Real Life, because I want us to deal with what I consider to be the broader topic. And the broader topic is health, okay, Now, certainly, um, we could talk about health and fitness, and and without question, um, I mean, really, honestly, all joking aside, who in this room would argue and say health and fitness is not important? I mean, who would really say that uh, all that eating right and exercising stuff, uh, that's evil? Nobody's going to say that. Of course not. That's ridiculous. I mean, shouldn't we all want to live longer and be healthy the entire time? Of course we would want to do that. You, do you realize that, and I just guessed, I mean, I just, I just picked 90%, easily 90% of all the prayer requests that are shared in a church, any church, are health-related? Do you realize that the vast majority of you and many of you faithfully fill out prayer requests every week, and we are thankful we pray for them. Overwhelming majority are for people who are sick. Doesn't it make sense that we would want to be healthy? Doesn't it make sense? Isn't it, look, the guy, those of us who are not in great shape want to be. Those of us who don't eat right keep saying we should start. Those of us who don't exercise the way we should always say that tomorrow I'm going to start doing it. We know it's a good idea, right? And those of you that do it like to remind us. But, like anything, you can take anything too far, can't you? You can take anything too far. Let me ask you something. And just think, don't say nothing. (laughs) Have you ever known anybody who used to be faithful to the Lord in church and something happened and they're not faithful to the Lord, and they're not faithful in church anymore, and yet somehow in their life, the thing that they chose to replace their faithfulness and their schedule and going to church is now the workout gym. Have you ever known people like that? In other words, that's kind of their new church. I've known people like that. Does that mean working out is evil? No, absolutely not. It means that they took it too far. It means that they decided they're going to forsake their spiritual health and put an, an, an Unbalanced emphasis on their physical health. Okay? So that's an interesting thing. Um, what they'll do is, and, he, and here's, here's what they do. I got a verse for you. first Corinthians 13, two verses, 16 and 17. This becomes their life verse. Okay? So, so the workout crazy guys love this verse. I'm just here to tell you. first Corinthians 3, 16, 17. Know ye not that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Here it comes. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So, if you don't eat right and exercise regularly, you're defiling the temple of God. I mean, that's the way it goes. Anybody ever heard that before? Just nod your head. You don't have to say nothing. It's okay, okay. All right, good. Okay, so there's a lot of ways that this plays out. And because I'm a nice guy, I made a list. You ready? Okay, so I mentioned the Old Testament dietary laws. Well, there's a group that's active today. They're called the Seventh-day Adventists. They still believe that you need to keep the Old Testament dietary laws, and they teach that as a doctrine. Now, by the way, for the, for the sake of being clear, if you do a statistical analysis on the health and life expectancy of a faithful Seventh-day Adventist, they live longer than the average population because they follow that. Well, good for them. But they teach it as a doctrine, and that's a problem. Uh, In the old days, okay, you used to hear more about this, seems like. But, you know, it was always about, you know, smoking and drinking and chewing tobacco and and all that kind of stuff. But the guys that would emphasize the smoking and the drinking and the chewing tobacco never seemed to get around to talking about Coca-Cola and ice cream and hot dogs. I mean, if we're going to defile the temple, I mean, there's a lot of ways to defile the temple, right? I mean, if that's going to be your basis... And so what you would have is, is that you would have some 400-pound preacher preaching against smoking, right? And they still are out there. And you you begin to wonder, you're like, okay, well, what exactly is your basis? Well, it's not healthy, it's gross. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't healthy and gross, dude. But today, what we run into, seemingly, is, well, what you got to watch out for is red meat and saturated fats, and high carbohydrates, and processed wheat flour, artificial sweeteners. I mean, if it's not gluten-free, organic, free-range, whole foods, then you're just not a good steward of the temple. Right? Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds really good. Okay, look. Just take a step back. Breathe deep. Honestly. Is it not a good idea to not smoke and drink and chew tobacco and eat junky food and never take... Of course that's not a good idea. Of course it's better to take better care of yourself. No question about it. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. You don't want to poison your body unnecessarily with non-food chemical products. Of course. They might taste great. It's not good for you. But it all boils down to the real problem and the real problem Jesus addressed in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 and verse 15. I think your notes might say 17. If it does, excuse me. That was a typo. It says, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile the man. Jump down to verse 19. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man That defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's the word of God on this subject. That's the word of God on all of the issues that deal with, listen, you want to eat potato chips and watch Biggest Loser? I've done that. I've done that. That's up to you, man. You want to work out and, you know, just eat celery and make fun of us? Okay. But let's not teach it like it's Bible doctrine. I mean, really. Really? That which is flesh is flesh, Jesus said, right? And that which is spirit is spirit. Okay, so the final word, okay? Man, about time. Final word on this subject. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. This is really important. I know that this is a familiar couple of verses for many of you. Please see them with fresh eyes. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself Rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So clearly, the Bible never commands us any particular diet. You have the freedom, you have the liberty. To develop your own lifestyle choices. What God wants you to do is to receive and love one another. That's what He wants you to do. You have your convictions. Great, that's awesome. You have your preferences. You have your choices, and you have them for a good reason. And that is fine. Don't despise your brother, don't judge your brother. Because I'm going to tell you something, regardless whether or not you're fortunate enough to live a long, healthy, physical life, and you push 100 years on this planet, or whether your life is the national average, about 75, or whether for some reason your life is cut short when you're still in your prime, or tragically as a child, whether any of those things happen to you physically, what really matters way, 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 way more is that you have eternity in heaven. And that whether you live 20 or whether you live 50 or whether you live 80 or whether you live 120 years on this planet, I mean, it's just like phew, a breath and it's gone. And compared to the endless millions of lives we get to live with Christ in, in bliss and harmony and love and perfection, it, whatever. Whatever. It kind of doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter. Bodily exercise is a wonderful thing. It, it is, and it profits. But you can't, you can't make it spiritual. You can't do it. That's what they're trying to say. okay? Because godliness, interestingly enough, according to verse 8, is profitable into all things. Oh, it'll profit your life today if you live a godly life. Oh, oh by the way, it'll carry over into eternity. Which... Is something to think about. Okay, second point, verses four through six. We dealt with the interaction with one another, now it's the interaction with the Lord. We're kind of continuing talking about with one another as well, but it kind of changes the focus a little bit. And the focus now shifts to each man's service to his Lord. And the issue that's being dealt with is esteeming, One day over another. In other words, is a certain day considered holy? Is one day more holy than another day? Again, the Seventh-day Adventists are getting nervous. Uh, They believe that the Old Testament Saturday Sabbath is a command given for all time. And so they will command that you take Saturdays off and that you have to absolutely stay home, and do no work, and all that kind of stuff. That's what they teach. Now, if you would just happen to look with me, if you go back to Romans 13, you were with us last week, in verse number nine, verses eight and nine, it says that loving one another fulfills the law, and in verse nine, it starts to give a list, and it says you should not commit adultery, or kill, or steal, or bear false witness, or covet, then it says if there's any other commandment, it's basically wrapped up in this idea, love in your neighbor as yourself. Anywhere in the New Testament that there are lists given from the 10 commandments of the Old Testament in Exodus 20, only nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. You know which one is oddly missing from every single list? It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. And so what you find is all of the nine of the other 10 Nine of them are repeated in the New Testament and clearly, therefore, expected to be followed. But not the Sabbath. That's a steaming a day, okay? Okay, so in this discussion, really, the real issue deals with letting others serve the Lord without having to consult you on it. How about that? Okay, so we could talk about the days, okay, and how people make mistakes, but, but really the issue is Somebody wants to esteem a day and somebody doesn't want to esteem a day. And just like the food, it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's not a law anymore. So do whatever you want, man. Live it up. You want to go to church on Saturday? You know, go for it. I mean, really, who cares? It doesn't really matter. The idea is, I don't require that you run it past me first. You know what I mean? That's the problem that people have today. And by the way, it is a real problem. I mean, people are funny about this stuff. And, and by the way, pastors are funny about this. I mean, I've known guys that run their churches and, and seriously, you, you need to be thankful. We don't do this here. People run their churches and the pastors need to know what you're doing and where you're doing it and why you're doing it and they better sign off on it or you're not right with God. I mean, I had a dear friend who used to do that and he ran his church that way until eventually he lost his church, <laughs> I mean, you just got to be careful about that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit is alive and well and fully capable of doing His own job without your help, right? I mean, we need to remember that. I know, I know it's tempting. I know you want to just jump in there and say, hey, HS, I got this one, you know. No, listen, He can do it, and it's none of our job. It's none of our business. It says in verse number four, to His own master He stands or falls. Listen. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I care about what you all do. I care about choices you make. It bothers me when I see people regularly and repetitively make poor choices. But I I promise you, this is part of my charm. (laughs) (laughs) I can use this word because I have the microphone. I, I, I don't worry. I don't worry about whether you leave here today and do what God said for you to do. I don't worry about it. I'm conser- I-, I want you to, but I don't worry about it because at the end of the day, you're going to answer to God for it. At the end of the day, you serve the Lord Christ, not Jeff Bartell. You have your relationship with God and as long as I have communicated to you the truth in love, you are now informed. You are now responsible. You are now accountable. And if you walk out of here and do nothing, I will treat you well. I will be kind to you. I will love you in every way I know how to love you. I may know that you're not willing to do stuff, and it may bother me internally, but I will not hunt you down. I will not call you in the carpet and say, Why aren't you doing what I think you need to be doing? Listen, that's just wrong. And that's what he's trying to address in this issue. That's what we need to understand. So like I said, if a guy wants to go to church on a different day, that's fine. You want to play golf on Sunday, you know, and go to some church that meets on Tuesday, I don't care. I mean, that's your choice. Now, we as a church meet on Sundays, and there's reasons why we do that. It's fine. But I'm just saying, you don't need to bother yourself with somebody else's choice, right? I mean, can we agree to that? Here's some amens. All right, good for you. All right, so here's where we're going. This is important, because we're going to get to verse number five. Personal convictions are valid. God said your personal convictions are valid. Verse 5, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You see that? Let every man be fully persuaded. In other words, you want to eat or you don't want to eat? Just be fully persuaded. You want to esteem a day or not esteem a day? Just be fully persuaded, right? Now, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Please, I got to remind you. I just got to do it. We are talking about gray areas. We are talking about things that are personal preference. We are not talking about clear Bible doctrine that somebody says, I don't like that. And I am fully persuaded that I don't like what God says. And therefore, because of verse number five, I have the right to say no thank you. No, that is not what we're talking about. We are not talking about you being able to go off on your personal sin and be able to do what you want just because you say, well, I've got the freedom to do what I want, that's what they said. No, we are talking about gray areas. We are talking about areas where God gives no specific command. Therefore, you have liberty. Are, are, we, are we together on this one? Very clear. That's important. We'll go back to Colossians two sixteen and 17. It was on the screen earlier. Let no man therefore judge you. We saw the meat and the drink. It goes on and it says, or in respect of an holy day or of the new moons or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So the Seventh-day Adventists have the Saturday Sabbath. But today, 20, 30 years ago, as I was coming up, very prevalent. Christians, Baptist churches, wherever, we have our own Sabbath. We have a Sunday Sabbath. I mean, there's people who will say, well, you know, in the Old Testament it was Saturday, but in the New Testament it's Sunday. So on Sunday, if, if you're out cutting your grass on Sunday afternoon, I mean, you're in sin. You're to do no work on the Sabbath. You think I'm kidding? People believe that. I mean, they, they believe it's strong. They think that it's wrong. I mean, if you, you shouldn't work on a Sunday. You have to rest. You shouldn't travel on a Sunday. By the way, if they're going to do all that, you also shouldn't cook on a Sunday. Let somebody else cook. It's kind of like the Amish. Can't drive a car. Let somebody else drive it for you and then make fun of them, <laughs> lest I digress. Okay, so some people, some people think that Sunday is the Lord's day, right? You think Sunday is the Lord's day? Not in the Bible, it's not. In the Bible, the Lord's day is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ ruling from the throne in Jerusalem for 1,000 years on planet Earth after he judges sin in Armageddon. That's the Lord's day. Sunday's not the Lord's day any more than this is the Lord's house. Okay, it's just a day. Um, what about Christmas? Isn't that a special one? Well, if you have faith and understand the scriptures, then you'll understand that there's really nothing special about Christmas. <gasps> I can't believe it. <laughs> well, listen, man, Christmas is not Jesus' birthday. I hate to burst the bubble but Jesus, there's no way Jesus was born in December, okay? Jesus was born in September. He was born at the Feast of Tabernacles. There's no question about it, okay? But it doesn't really matter. You want to celebrate, listen, by the way, I'm not mad I celebrate Christmas because it's an opportunity to talk about the coming of our Lord. That's fine. Easter, Easter, Easter is not a Christian holiday. I'm sorry, I know, we just had Easter. We celebrated it, you hypocrite. We celebrated it. <laughs> Look, Some people are very careful in their language and choose out of conviction to say Happy Resurrection Day because they don't want to say Easter because they know. Okay, well, you know, Jesus rose the third day after the Passover, which the Passover sometimes is close to Easter and sometimes it's not, but Easter is an old pagan tradition that comes from before Christ. The literal meaning of Easter has really nothing to do with with the Christian church. Is it wrong to celebrate it? Of course not. Is it, is it wrong to say, I'm not going to celebrate it because I know the pagan roots? No, it's not wrong. Do whatever you want. Really, it's okay. What about the Christmas tree? Okay, again, what about Jeremiah chapter 10? A man goes into the woods and cuts down a tree and puts decorations on it. They were worshiping false gods. It was a false tree of life. Okay, I get it. I know. That's wonderful. God bless you. Really, you've been reading. <laughs> Look, man, we're just... You just don't, just don't respect it. Then, if that if that freaks you out, just you know, just have crosses in your house. That's kind of weird too, by the way. But you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I got to stick to the script. <laughs> How about we're talking about Easter? How about Good Friday? Right? How many of you had Good Friday off of work? Thankful for that, right? Thankful you had the day off. What's that? The day Jesus was crucified? Not according to the Bible. He was crucified. The day before the Sabbath, well, they just think that that means the Saturday Sabbath. They don't realize that the Passover day is a feast day, it's a high day, and it's called a Sabbath. The Passover, which always falls on the 14th of Nisan, which always falls on a different day of the week every year. Listen, it was not Good Friday, it was Bad Wednesday, okay? It's clear. (laughs) It is clear. But, you know, you want to go for Good Friday and, you know, do the deal? I mean, God bless you. I don't care. Lent? Uh, is that a whole, are those holy days? Where does that come from? Well, let me tell you where it doesn't come from. The Bible. Okay, if it does you good to not eat meat for a month or whatever it is you do, you know, give something up. You know, give up Facebook for a month for Lent. You know, okay, whatever. God bless you. I think it's dumb, but that's me. Are you going to receive me and love me? Because I'll receive you and love you. I don't care. I mean, that doesn't matter to me. But don't pretend like it's biblical. Don't pretend like Jesus commanded it. Jesus commanded, I'm going to leave Facebook for Lent. (laughs) All right, so those people who have stronger faith, what is stronger faith? Stronger faith comes from the truth of God's word, right? You have freedom. They know. They know. None of those days are holy. None of them. So, celebrate them if you want. Or not. I don't care. But whatever you do, Do these three things or don't do these three things that I have in your notes. First, don't require everyone else to do it your way. Amen? We're gonna do a little amen practice because these three points are good. Don't require other people to do it your way. Enjoy your celebration or enjoy abstaining from your celebration. But don't require the other guy to do it. Number two, don't teach your preference as doctrine. When you cross the line, thank you. When you cross the line and you start telling people that this is what God says for everybody, you're wrong. You're wrong, and you're a false teacher. And don't judge another who serves the Lord his way. Don't do that, because he stands or falls before his master, who, by the way, is not you, and it's not me either. They do it Unto the Lord. Now, does that mean that you can't have a conversation and and kindly sit down and maybe explain why there is no real base for what they do? Of course, you can have a conversation, but don't judge them, don't despise them. Okay, now we're going to look at a broader category, and, and the Holy Day subject really deals with the broader category, which is worship. It's worship, because that's what Holy Days had to do with in the Old Testament. They were special days to come and worship the Lord. So, liberty and legalism in real life today, there are other things that get people's attention today in the connection with the broader category of public worship. First one's music. So, styles. Speed, beat, tempo, volume, key are not holy or unholy. It's just music. I mean, we're going to get to it all, guys. We'll get, we're going to get to loud music, skinny jeans, and tattoos by the time we're done. We're going to get it all. I went there's a very few people in this room that'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I went to a, some years ago, a a kind couple in this church, had a 50th anniversary party, invited me, and I went. I only say this to say, at their anniversary party, they had a DJ, and they had music. It was fun, and the music the DJ was playing was (laughs) really loud, and these are older adults. These are people who are celebrating a 50th anniversary, and most of the guests, you know, were of that age bracket, and I mean, loud music. And I'm looking around the room, man, and the older folks didn't really seem to have a problem with the the volume. (laughs) And I leaned over to one of the brothers and I said, you know, I I just don't want to ever hear anything about the volume of our music in church anymore. I don't want to hear it. Because obviously it's not the volume that bothers you. Obviously it's the content or it's something else. I don't know. You know what I mean? Listen, that's, a, that's category of worship. Listen, here's the thing. We play the music we play because we like it and because all of the army of people that volunteer our endless hours of their time volunteer it unto the Lord. And that's the music they play. And I'm so thankful. And what happens is, is typically this is a younger, older debate. And the older... Don't always prefer it, and I understand that. And if you're still here with us, you have come to peace in your heart with it's okay. There are many who are not here anymore because they couldn't come to that peace in their heart. I understand. They have the freedom to leave. And so a lot of the older have come to this understanding of Romans 14 and saying, look, I'm not going to make it an issue, and God bless you for that. But I think it's fair to maybe ask the younger. So you teenagers, you guys are the young adults. You're kind of flanking me here, okay? So I'm going to step back and pretend like I'm here. Oh, so the younger, now you guys kind of got it made because the music we play, you kind of like. It's kind of neat, isn't it? So, I mean, you might like it even harder or whatever. But, I mean, generally speaking, you know, we're we're, we're kind of cool. (laughs) So the question would be is that if, if we shifted and just did, you know, the piano, organ, choir, or, you know, southern gospel, or whatever, could, could you still love one another in this church enough to be able to worship God, even in, with a style that maybe you don't prefer? In other words, it's not an issue. It's a preference. That's all. It's not a doctrine. You see that? Okay, so now, now we're going to talk about skinny jeans. <laughs> I bought, no, I didn't buy a pair. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, dress codes are things that people work their way into worship, and and there for years have been, and there's still churches that are just so dogmatically legalistic about what you wear that if you don't dress properly, I mean, they'll say the church is God's temple, and you defile the temple by coming in here with blue jeans or shorts or flip-flops or whatever, and, uh, you know, there's a, I know, you go in Deuteronomy 22, and woman shouldn't wear a thing that pertains to a man, and a man shouldn't wear a thing that pertains, I get it, I know. We're gonna, we'll look at it, don't worry about it. They, they, never, they only want to read that verse. They don't want to read the ones before it and the ones after it, I get it. Back in those days, by the way, women wore skirts, just saying. Think about that for a minute. So here's the deal. If now I got to worry about how people are dressed and how they wear their hair and how, you know, can, you, can a guy have long hair or short hair? Can you have facial hair or not have facial hair? Does women, can women wear britches? You know, is that wrong? Uh, I mean, just, they just go on and on and on about ways that you think you can dress, I mean, and they connect it to coming into the halls of God, and you just are, you just, you know, you're just disrespectful. Uh, you know, when I grew up, if a guy wore a baseball hat, in church. I mean, you take your hat off for respect. And if you're of my generation, you're like, amen, of course. But some of the young people, they just didn't, they didn't ever get that. Now, I prefer that they take the stinking hat off. That's what I prefer. But I'm not going to despise them. Because you know what? They're here. They could be somewhere else. Right? They're still here. Right? I mean, we got to get this thing. So, People are funny about this stuff. I mean, why can't we just apply the same things we just learned about food and days to these things? Because if we don't, we're never really going to grow. We're just not. Okay, so, you know, I feel like the day in which we live demands that we at least for a minute mention the tattoos and piercings thing. Okay, so just for those of you to make you feel better, here's the verse. If you didn't know where it was, here it is. It's Leviticus 19.28. You ready? Shazam. Okay, don't make any cuttings in your flesh and don't put any marks on your body and the people 50 and above said, (coughs) all right. (laughs) There's your verse, man. You need your verse. I'm here for you. Okay when God wrote that in the law to the Jews, that's because a lot of the things that were associated with people who did those things truly were associated with pagan, demonic-type principles. I get that. I truly do. Um, But but if we're going to be biblical, if we're going to have strong faith, if we're going to be right, there's a lot of things mentioned in Leviticus 19. And once again, I made you a list. Also mentioned in Leviticus 19 is the Saturday Sabbath that you must keep. There are animal sacrifices that you must bring. If a person is caught as a fornicator, they would be beaten and scourged. Long hair and beards were required for all men. You were required to take foreigners into your house. You're not allowed to mix your cattle in the field with other animals. You were not allowed to plant different seeds in your garden. You were not allowed to have clothing of mixed fabrics. You were not allowed to harvest all of your land. You had to leave part of your crops unharvested for the poor. That was, the, that was God's welfare program. The poor could work and pick up the gleanings out of your field. And you were not allowed to marry a divorced or a widowed woman, you're only allowed to marry a virgin. Now, do you want to apply and continue to require all of Leviticus 19 today? Or just the one on tattoos? Well, a lot of people would say, just the one on tattoos. (laughs) Listen, I have my preferences. I do. And and let me just tell you something. God is so good to all of us. I mean, think about it truly. He's so good to all of us. What I'm going to say might make you laugh. I think it's kind of funny. But it's, it's very true. God lets us all do dumb stuff. He lets us all do dumb stuff. And he loves us. And he receives us. And he doesn't despise us. And he cares for us. Do you understand that? And so maybe there's some stuff that all of us do. And what happens is, is that I only point my finger at the guy who does the stuff I don't like. I never happen to get around to talking about the stuff that I do. (laughs) Right? And we just have to learn to accept one another. And that's really important. Okay, we've got one last point and really no time, but we'll go through it very quickly. I I want you to at least be able to see this because it really does fall in place quickly. The last point is influence and accountability. And the thing I want you to see about influence is that your life is not your own. And that's, the, that's verses 7 and 9. Look, your life is not your own. No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. There was an English poet back in the 17th century named John Donne, and he said, no man's an island unto himself. That's very true. Okay, so if you are, just know this, if you are a weak, legalistic, judgmental Christian, just know that others are watching you. Just know that your kids and grandkids are watching you. And if you have liberty and you look down your nose at others that maybe don't understand or haven't risen to your level yet, just know that others are watching you. You cannot do that in a bubble. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. That's what we're supposed to do. So here are some tips for positive influence on others show grace with truth. That's Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth and then the next one is some truth is God's truth and some truth is your truth right in other words there are things that God says that are clear there are other things that are just your preference don't confuse them and lastly understand that people who teach their preferences as God's truth expecting you to do exactly what they do are weak in their faith but you still need to receive them. You still need to receive them. Because God does. Just like all of us who are mature adults would welcome a little child that would come to us and be willing to play with us even though they had some crazy ideas. Little kids come and they have crazy ideas. We think it's cute. We get in church and little kids in the faith have crazy ideas and we despise them. We despise them. And that's just wrong. The accountability portion is that your life is the Lord's. Verses 8 and 9. In fact, verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Listen, Jesus Christ gave his life, he died and he rose again. We're going to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper this evening at 6.30. And he did that so that he would be able to be Lord of everybody. Right? So, Why don't we give God the liberty to deal with others the way that he sees fit? I mean, he is fully capable, right? And he will ultimately work it all out at the judgment seat of Christ, right? Which is, by the way, verse number 10 in Romans 14. We'll get to that next week. And I don't know if you think you're ready for the judgment seat or or not. I don't know if you consider yourself today to be a stronger Christian or a weaker Christian. You could ask yourself, how have I been responding to others? That's really the question. Do you show grace and love or do you find yourself despising and judging? Because listen, this body of Christ thing, this living our life together, this is a serious deal with God. It is a serious deal with him, and he wants it to be a serious deal for us too. And so maybe, we're going to pray in just a second. Maybe you need to go see somebody before this day darkens and apologize. There's a possibility that God's put a name in your mind, and you've got to go get right with them. Again, we're going to have the Lord's Supper tonight, and that's what the Lord's Supper is all about cleaning all our accounts remembering his death, burial, and resurrection, and asking him to just cleanse our hearts as we partake of that which represents his body and his blood, which was broken and shed for us. I say we just get our hearts right now. Come back tonight and have a party. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would